Let's see them fucking up, take dogs? this one down. Let's see them take this one down. Try it. <laughs> Dude, dogs, the haters are hating on us, man. Take my fucking stream down, dude. Make, make me a free speech martyr. Yeah, you're blowing up. Now you got to push that narrative. And that's it. They're, dude, this is too much truth. It's too powerful. The the elites do not want us getting our message out there. Damn, I knew we should have bought AR-15 specifically for this fucking reason. That's it was bound yeah. to happen eventually. It's the only reason we started a Patreon. I was like, I need AR-15s and I need a nice hat to wear for my book tour. Although Hell with yeah. us being gay retards, I think we need gay R15s. <laughs> Stop, dude. Chill. <laughs> Fuck, man. That would dude, be what sick. a treat tonight, That would man. be sick to be to become a uh, a free speech advocate and just make money for, I don't know, you just bother people outside on video, I think. That's all. I, I think that's it. I mean, I just got shadow banned on Instagram, and I was furious that now I have to talk about that. Why did they shadow ban? <laughs> What'd you do? I because some I, two trans women uh, were having a fight in my comments like a year ago from one of my videos, and I guess like they've since circled back and reported a bunch of them, and uh, oh, like it's been a steady decline of interaction and views. Where it's like I used to get a hundred thousand views on stand-up videos, you know, even high tens of thousands or whatever, and now it's like. 1500 if i'm lucky <laughs> damn what's your next move how do you parlay this into just a, an enormous career you don't even have to do jokes anymore you just go to podiums i gotta like somehow get it to rogan and then <laughs> <laughs> have him fight my battle for me and yeah, we'd like to officially welcome mike cannon to the podcast mike it's a treat to have you my man it's a treat to be on man i'm a big fan of you guys thank Thanks you so much likewise this, man, man. Dude, uh, if you want, after you're done this, if you're done listening to Dad, me check out Mike's special Life Begins. You can watch it on YouTube, and it's also available for purchase on iTunes. Um, we watch it. We were lucky enough to do to do a um, real ass podcast with Mike back in January, and getting to meet him then. You know, I saw that he was that he was promoting his um, his special, and it's so fucking good. And it's it, it's just different. It's not just a comedian up there just telling jokes. It's like one, he's super funny, and two it's just enjoyable to watch and it's cool to see like all the people that you got involved to, to that obviously love and care about you to help you promote this and to just say funny shit. Yeah. I mean, that's the special. That was pretty well. I thought, cause I don't know. I, I'm still one of those assholes that doesn't think too highly of myself. So <laughs> I, to give myself an hour almost seemed like a piece of shit move. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I like even, feeling. yeah, even though it was free on YouTube, I'm still like, who am I to have an hour? So I was like, I'll just put a little bit out and have these guys hopefully, you know, help get the name out and get the message out there. But I think that's typically a telltale sign that you are good at what you do. Like if you don't think you're good, <laughs> yeah, then you're on the right track. I think so too. Yeah, my my least favorite comics are the, are the guys that are like fucking burn the place down last night, baby. Yeah. Like uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Nobody came out alive. Dude, there, <laughs> like, on, to that point, Mike, there was a guy that immediately the first person that popped in my head was this guy who was sitting backstage one time. He was like a fucking, he was like a dentist or something, and he would go up. He he did his three minutes, and it was just it was nothing. But to him, yeah. it meant fucking everything. And Lo and behold, a couple months later, he was in the news for getting to a fight with Russell Westbrook at a Sixers game. <laughs> <laughs> of course he did. So that hilarious. was impressive. Although yeah, Scott yeah. wasn't, man. Dude, honestly, that's a pretty damn good credit, though. At this point, if you want to stand out, you got to give, you know, give something like that before you Dude, come and, on. And he's the one to go to. Do you watch a lot of basketball? I'm a, I'm a big hoops guy. Yeah, I played two years in junior college and oh, no uh, way. All, all growing up was obsessed with it. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's. Like that, um, that lifestyle. Like, I'm. What are you watching? Last Dance right now? Uh, yeah, yeah. 
dude, incredible. Uh, don't mean to brag, but I got an Air Jordan uh, fucking uh, track jacket on Facebook Marketplace. But is that a re- <laughs> is that a recent purchase? That's what I do. Like anytime, anytime a local wigger dies, I I feel it in my bones. Did you get the matching bucket hat? <laughs> it's always just like some sad sixty-year-old woman bringing out a few hangers of fucking track jackets. She sold for twenty bucks. Here's Derek's shit. <laughs> you got to get matching affliction jeans to get the real Michael Jordan feel. <laughs> do, but um, yeah. But seeing that now, it really like it it reinvigorated like my love for like. 80s and early 90s NBA, but more yeah. importantly, like the behind the scenes shit, like just to see like like how fucking wild these dudes were. And yeah. I think like Russell Westbrook, like watching him get into fights with people, like anytime he would do that, that would make me think of what happened with Ron Artest. Right. Yeah, totally. And you almost miss that kind of grit and, you know, uh, mentality now because everybody's friends with everybody. Russ is, you know, in the offseason, he's cool. He'll wear floodwater pants and look sweet. But, you know, when the game's <laughs> on, he'll fucking bite your face off. And I love that about him. How much how much of like what you see goes on behind the scenes in this documentary um, relates to what you experience playing college ball? Well, everything besides the money, the packed crowds, and uh, <laughs> and just general nice treatment of us at all. <laughs> Dude, I played fucking, you know, Juco basketball where they, our our big trips were like we went to New Mexico to play New Mexico Community College and some other. <laughs> and it, like it, it was it, my coach was so wild. I remember he he made a cotton picking joke to our entire team and I was one of two white kids on it. So you can kind of assume what that was. And uh, then we some dude on my team banged a 65 year old prostitute named Candy because we were so (laughs) pumped to be out of New York. (laughs) So I guess it was a lot like the Bulls. (laughs) Had a real sweet tooth. Yeah, dude, the chick shit on the toilet, too. She shit on on the lip of the toilet. Yeah. When we like my dude, Jeff. So he was like grimy as hell. Right. Looked like a human pit bull was just from the hood, was one of those basketball players that was like completely in your shit for all of 94 feet. So you couldn't breathe. He was so athletic. He's on top of you. And then like he lived his life pretty similarly. (laughs) And he and he found this decaying prostitute on the side of the road in New Mexico, brought her back to our motel and then fucking um, ended up was like, who wants to bang this chick? Who wants to fuck her with me? And everybody was like, no, we're good, Jeff. And he took her in the bathroom and had sex with her for a dollar. And we all of us like even put our heads under the to see under the door. And we watched his like feet and legs and her legs rock back and forth. So it was confirmed. And then once he let her out, we opened the door and there was a dollop of shit on the top. Whoa. Like not even not even the toilet bowl. It was on the top of the fucking whatever. So I don't know what position he was doing or how she fired that out. But it was it was pretty well preserved too. He probably oh, dude, gave her a, a level of enthusiasm she hasn't seen in it could be decades at this point. <laughs> yeah, man. And if she's if she's in New Mexico, the idea that she would sleep with a black guy is also pretty wild. Maybe she, maybe she's just you know accepting and dude. Just I mean, just think she's that old. She's still in the game. She that could have been the day she was going to retire. She was probably like, right. you know, I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> and then he walks in, and he puts a fucking just beating on her bones. 
Dude, that's, that's like how fighters. Heaven, she's just like she's like maybe maybe there is something still for me in this game. <laughs> maybe you know how like when fighters over. retire, yeah. like they drop their gloves in the center of the grill, yeah. <laughs> center of the ring. <laughs> she just drops her uterus in the middle of the parking lot. <laughs> Dude, that that's a cool move, man. It's like an old barista. You know, how baristas like when you get a latte, they'll put like like a, a leaf in foam on the top. Mm-hmm. That's the old yeah, prostitute yeah. way. It's like the coffee salt bay. <laughs> <laughs> Salt and pepper bay. Yeah, <laughs> man. that's funny, man. It's it's crazy you mentioned her because uh, Tim knows this, but um, this this is going to be new to you, Mike. But uh, mm. I enjoy a good spunker. Okay, uh, Mandy McCready, Julia Butt. <laughs> I, the I list goes on and on. I don't know what spunker is. Is that weird? Uh, no. no, it's not. You're a normal okay. person, but um, it's it's an older lady who does porn. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, just ladies who are clearly in it for the love of the game. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know what the age cutoff is. Like, I don't, I don't know if it's like, you know, like playing like a like like youth youth baseball or anything like that. I don't know if they have to be a certain age to meet the requirements. But typically right. it's ladies who look like they need help getting out of a sofa. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> God. I, I feel you, man. People, the women who are at risk of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny to bring that up to you because I was like reading about, um, do you remember uh, Vanessa Del Rio? Yeah, why do I know that name? She was pretty prominent in the eighties. Okay, um, porn lady. Yeah, oh, dude, okay. she was big in the seventies and eighties, and she's a very interesting lady. She actually tore her meniscus on stage, and that was it for her. No um, shit. Yeah, but she had um she had retired due to the um, HIV crisis during the eighties. Uh-huh. So um, with you mentioning that, like that's that's a real danger for these ladies now. They can't mm-hmm. just jump back in willy nilly and just start. That's true. Yeah, comics with asthma are going to retire. <laughs> Look, I guess that's it for me. Can't go back on the road. I'm a fucking. <laughs> Dude, How bad are you it. chopping at the bit, Mike? I mean, you know, it, it's like I, I almost can't think about it because I feel like then it's almost too much of a loss. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so much. Of, I'm I'm again, I'm one of these idiots that completely tied my identity to stand up. It's been who I am for the last, how you know, 11, 12 years. And I'm just like, without doing it, I feel like less of myself and I have very little worth. <laughs> Damn, dude. Now, is there anything that like you're trying to like make up for that with? Or are you just fucking pacing around the house, just waiting for the fucking days to end? I mean, I'm I'm like, you know, I'm staying busy in terms of doing videos and you know podcasting constantly. Yeah. I'm not doing any. I haven't done any of the Zoom stand up shows yet. Uh, yeah. I've actually, believe it or not, I've heard both horror shows and then I've heard good things about them. I don't know if my way of telling jokes lends itself to that. I think it lends itself more to podcasts. And if people listen live, then cool. But otherwise, it's like, whatever, let's just fucking do this. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I'm right. I'm mostly just trying to stay productive as much as possible and try to, you know, diversify how we're making money. You know? Yeah. How about Tim, you guys? Uh, I don't, we, we we talk about it like we're, we're big on programming. We got that from a prison YouTuber, YouTuber <laughs> which uh-huh. is basically just like setting your own schedule, setting your own goals and being like the fucking master of your fucking domain. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, things are going pretty well, man. Like I'm able I'm fortunate enough to be able to work from home most of the time so I can kind of dick off. But dig off in my own way, like accomplish the shit that I want to accomplish while also getting like a little bit of work done. Sure. Um, I feel good, man. I, I feel like I'm in the swing of things. The kids are pretty much self-sufficient. 
Um, I mean, you're in a hundred and fifty dollar track jacket. You do feel you should feel good. Yeah, I actually feel like I've inherited the powers of this waiter who died in it. I'm actually stunned they didn't bury him in it because this is a definite burial jacket. Although to that note, I think I got the one that he was supposed to enter heaven with because it's an old white one. Yeah, dude, that's like the second. That should be Space Jam too. Is you wearing a Wiggers Jordan track jacket and soaking up his powers? <laughs> Yeah, dude, there definitely needs to be a uh, Space Jam reboot. All wiggers, man. I know, but unfortunately, they're going with LeBron, who I love. But you know, it's it's, <laughs> it's certainly not a it's not as creative as it could have gone. Is he your guy right now? Yeah, I mean, I just uh, any any LeBron hater to me truly doesn't make sense because the guy it's like I love basketball so I'm going to gravitate to the best people that are playing basketball and you know his personality is I guess hateable to some people it's not really to me I think he was born to a 16 year old mother in Schittsville Ohio he's had world at least nationwide fame and attention since he was 15 and 16 his only fuck up was the decision and he ended up donating like millions of dollars to the boys and girls club so it's like if you fuck up like that, you're fine in my book. Yeah, I mean, like that. I mean, just to him, like the guy can't fucking do anything without getting criticized for it. And yeah, you know, circling back to the Lance Dance thing, it's like Jordan gambled, like, like for fuck's sake, man. Like, yeah, what do you want the guy to do, uh, dude? It, it, if Jordan came up during the social media. Uh, era it would it would be a totally different story he would he would have some tiger woods level shit where he would you know i'm sure some girls have flipped the fuck out at michael jordan and people in vegas kept it quiet like he was he was dealing in pretty high you know high levels where he's gambling hundreds of thousands of dollars a hole for fucking golf it's it's insane dude one of my favorite moments from the last dance was when he was um uh, playing quarters with the security guys yeah and that one old wigger man that guy looked like unlike any human being I've ever seen in my entire life. Like because of that, I did research today. It turns out he was a retired narcotics officer. What? Yeah, man. He was a cop in Chicago. Who the fuck is he taking down? <laughs> that wiry weirdo. And he just grew his hair out after he got off the force. And he's like, all right, I'll, I'll get the, I'll get the mustache and time, long white hair. Man, but what a serendipitous fall for an old wigger, man. I'm Michael Jordan's personal security guard <laughs> and and become very cocky at a game. They clearly made up. <laughs> like he was he was strutting around like tossing court. I don't even know what the fuck the point of that game was. Do you? I don't th- I don't think it does either. I think Jordan was just like, all right, here we have 10 minutes. Somebody's got a pocket full of quarters. Let's make a game up here. Yeah, let's throw it closest to the wall without hitting it. That's at least what I got to, out of the game. I have no idea what it was. I have no idea what it was either, but I know I want to play it now. I haven't watched it. Were they just pitching quarters? Yeah, they're just pitching quarters against the wall, and it's like, I guess it's just, I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's big dirtball gambling shit. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, dude, if you saw these guys. Yeah, I haven't watched it. Dude, you have to watch this. It's so fucking good. I mean to. Um, Hey, do you think there's like a psychological thing? So you guys, like, you asked him if uh, LeBron's his guy. LeBron's clearly the guy, like, undeniable, Mm -hmm. right? But there's such, there's a a large, there's a remarkable number of people who, who just shit on him. They, they yeah. question everything he does, right? Do you think that's like a psychological thing where like a, a big proportion of sports fans fail to like cultivate any kind of meaningful personal life outside of sports? So when it yeah. comes to like a guy being clearly number one, they just can't accept it because then it's just like this is silly if like right. 
the the decisions almost made for this guy said i am i what am i a child i just i have a favorite thing and the best part about it is my favorite they like they lose their minds they're like no no, no 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 i've got more insight than other people he's actually not the best now if you look at <laughs> you know what i mean is it- that is sports it's that childhood shit it's ha- like people are so attached to their childhood and who their favorite was like they can't even entertain the idea that LeBron is challenging Jordan Mm -hmm. for being the best player. Listen, Michael Jordan is the best basketball player, best winner maybe ever, you know, of anything, but LeBron James, you can't like, you can't dismiss the fact that this guy is a physical freak. Unlike any, any athlete the world has ever seen, let alone basketball player. He's got, you know, power forward build with magic Johnson size with, you know, with that type of passing ability. Now he can shoot a three. He can play every angle of the floor and people are like, dude sucks. (laughs) Doesn't have the killer instinct. And it's like, yeah, it's because Michael Jordan is a sociopath. Like he's a bad guy. Right. But he won. He he focused his bad guyness in the best direction possible. LeBron James is like if Jordan did mushrooms and was gay. <laughs> yeah, and was gay. <laughs> and was blue right? Scotty Pippen. Wait, was Mike? Was is LeBron's gay? Right? Is that who it was? No. no. Who was the one that was they were <laughs> in the locker room singing it. to each other? Remember the uh, video? The oh, yeah, you know what? There, uh, Mike. There's a video of um, of uh, LeBron singing to Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm giving him a happy birthday gift and it was like, like Marilyn Monroe singing to him. <laughs> yeah, it was sultry. So I, yeah. I give yeah. that. And then that was um, piggybacked onto another video of Anthony Davis having a finger shoved in his ass when he played for Kentucky. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. Somebody taped that. Dude, that's so- <laughs> Did his asshole have a unibrow? <laughs> Dude, that's so I watch so little mainstream sports that facts to me are just black conspiracy theories. <laughs> 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 and I'm just casually like, well, you know, LeBron's gay. Uh, from the- <laughs> I know Dwight Howard is definitely a poo pusher, but I mean, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't realize LeBron was in that camp, but it makes sense, dude. I, I hope, I hope something. I hope they make a last dance for Dwight Howard. Um, yeah, because like any, any more of any more of that in depth NBA shit. Because to me, the NBA is the most fascinating league. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one thing that I was reminded of when watching the last dance, but Anthony Mason from the Knicks, like he oh, was I just a it, notorious Mace. motherfucker. He was a scary dude. There was a story when um, in the late nineties, when the Sixers early two thousands, when the Sixers started to get good again, Tyrone Hill, uh, who played for the Sixers, um, mm-hmm. tried to everything he could to avoid Anthony Mason in the tunnel leading up to and after the game, because apparently Tyrone Hill owed Anthony Mason money and Anthony <laughs> Mason told him he was going to get it that night. <laughs> shit dude i i mean anthony mason was the first guy i ever saw with yellow whites of his eyes <laughs> oh, yeah. you know what i mean where he's got like almost that demon look and he has the fucking artwork in his hair he he was awesome too he was one of the he was one of the first point power forwards because he was like, incredible bring, dude he'd bring the ball up pass his free throw was inexplicable Dude, yellow eyes are like black dude fangs. <laughs> Any black dude who's got them is instantly a thousand times more terrifying because Jordan's yeah. got them now, yeah. and Jordan is infinitely more intimidating than he ever was playing basketball. What is that front? Is that booze that did it? Because, uh, I, I mean, uh, Jordan, Jordan hits the bottle now pretty hard. Most of the dudes and, I see with it push brooms in, like, garages. That right. for a living. Well, so. all of my AAU coaches had it. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> literally all of them growing up would have just these fucking and they'd have like a little bursted blood vessels that yeah, they the, claim the were from eyes. their career. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I bet you know what? That's something I feel like I should look up before taking any guesses because it's going to be extremely <laughs> racist. <laughs> <laughs> 
they have an extra it's just cornea. something that happens over time to with melanin. <laughs> oh my god, dude! But a story that I wish they touched on about Dennis Rodman is like you know they have Carmen Electra up there, and they kind of asked about the marriage a little bit. I don't know if they edited this part out, but there's this amazing story when they were married. She was they were at some Hollywood party, and she busts into a bedroom, and Rodman is fucking two chicks. Right. He's just banging two chicks. And she's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're cheating on me with two women. What the fuck? And he looks her dead in the eye and he goes, what women? <laughs> There's two <laughs> chicks on the bed naked with him. And she's like, what? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy, lady. And she's like, what? What? And he's like, yeah, get out, man. You're fucking out of your mind. <laughs> There's just two oh naked God. women that next to him. That that mentally ill and rich at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I I can't I can't handle being mentally ill and poor. <laughs> I know. Oh my God. Uh, being mentally ill and rich would be fun. Like when you're crazy and you have the money to just shape your reality around how crazy you are. Yep. That's got to well, be awesome. Uh, on that note, I was watching another one last night, uh, Quiet Storm with um, Ron Artest. It's oh, on Showtime. Yeah. And like he's another one. Um, just I played against his brother in community college. How was he? My, uh, he was really, really great. And it turns out he was like one of the biggest drug dealers in Sullivan County because I think he got like he got arrested pretty shortly after we played them. Oh, damn. You know, what? I, I think I, I remember hearing him mention that on the documentary. Yeah. Michael Artest. Yeah. Fuck, man. But he was another one like Ron Artest was one of those guys who like you could just tell that, you know, th- there's something different. Like when you look in somebody's eyes and like you can just tell that like, OK, they would stab me for just looking at them the wrong way. He had yeah. that. And, you know, he uh, he ended up becoming buddies with the guy who threw the beard at him in oh, Auburn shit. Hills. Yeah. Yeah. He reached out to him. He just called him one day. Wow. Um, that's and the a, guy, that's crazy. The, I never knew that. Uh, the guy actually had a pretty funny story because the guy who threw the beard around our test, um, he ended up going to AA. <laughs> and then he got his life straightened out and he stopped throwing beers at basketball players that incited <laughs> riots. <laughs> And then while Artest was doing a lot of soul searching, he's like, all right, let me call this guy up. And he called him up and I think they had lunch together and now they're buddies. Dude, imagine if the malice at the palace was your rock bottom. (laughs) That is the fucking greatest reason to stop drinking of all time. I stopped drinking because my wife was pregnant. My rock bottom sucked. This guy, this guy caused an envy, a league shaping melee. Fuck. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, it's not entirely his fault. I mean, the palace did have a name that rhymed with malice. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to expect it at some point. Yeah. Dude, I mean, that was that, the fucking best. Didn't he hit the wrong guy? He Did hit everybody. Yeah. Did he well, just the jump guy, into the crowd? <laughs> yeah. It was it was the guy that was next to uh, John Green was the name of the guy who threw the beer. Uh-huh. And he had he told the guy next to me, he's like, I bet you I could hit our test from here. And he launched <laughs> a beer and he got it on him. And our test just looked up and he saw the dude next to John Green laughing about it. So right. he went up and the picture that was the um, front page news of the incident was the guy <laughs> with his hands up, fucking eyes wide. They're like, no, 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 no. It was him. And oh John Green just let it happen. God. But then he tried as he was trying to act like he was taking our test off the guy. He was sucker punching him. In. No shit. Yeah. I mean, Steven Jackson also climbed directly oh. in the stands and started lacing motherfuckers up. You got to you got to appreciate that a little bit. Dude, Mike, I think that should happen the last game of every year for any yeah. team that doesn't make the playoffs. That's what you should get to do. Yeah. <laughs> oh my just, God. That as soon awesome. as somebody throws something, just have at it, man. <laughs> Dude. Also like, you know, who knows what these guys are saying to Westbrook, you know, and, and starting fights now, but I, I was sitting like 
I think f- my my wife's family has insane season tickets to the Knicks that are obviously not very impressive anymore, but they've had them for years and years. And I think they're like five rows behind the the hoop. And I said something to Zach Randolph this years ago while he was playing. And, I was, you know, I was like, you bum, you stunk on the Knicks. Literally something as innocuous as that. And some fucking usher walked up to me and like stuck out his stuck out his hand with a piece of paper and like no look handed me a piece of paper and i read it and it was like this is your only warning if you say one more thing you're out and it's like it's like dude i know i didn't pay any money for these seats but if i did this would be like you're giving me a fucking one strike penalty and i didn't even say anything you got the merits like, at the next game <laughs> <laughs> it's insane sign this before you come back to your seat <laughs> Dude, people used to throw shit, say crazy stuff, uh, you know, research personal shit about each player and say it like, you know, and now I say you stunk on the Knicks and I'm getting a fucking stupid warning. Fuck yeah. Yeah, I I wish somebody would compile an Excel spreadsheet of of fucking dudes who are that weak, thin skinned and then the flip side of dudes who can fucking take it. Um, Yeah. There was a guy. Do you remember a baseball pitcher? He was with the Phillies for a long time. Then he ended up going to the Dodgers. Vincente Padilla. Yeah. Yeah. Padilla. Well, he was warming up in the bullpen um, when the Phillies last played them in game six of the 2009 NLCS, I think it was. And I was just screaming at him the entire time and just saying the most offensive shit I could think of. And when he was done, he tossed the ball up to me. And like, that's how, that's how you handle that. That's yeah, how you handle yeah. that. But now then you're on the flip fan side, for life. Yeah. Then on the flip side, there's guys that as soon as you say something, I'm still hurt by this. Uh, one of the... Um, I think it was one of the Nationals bullpen coaches said, what did you say, fat boy? And at the time, I was very heavy. <laughs> and I had to leave at that point. <laughs> so I, I got a verbal demerit. Dude, when I was playing in junior college, we we went and played uh, Allegheny in Maryland, which was Steve Francis's junior college. And it's more or less like a farm team for Maryland University. So it's all these kids that are unbelievable, but they're full blown retards. They can't get into a state school, even with their abilities. Right. So they're just dumb as rocks at community college. But they beat us by 50 my uh, my freshman year and then by 65 are my sophomore year. And they always had their baseball team. They would wear different color shirts and there would be like, you know, 20, 25 kids uh, in their in their crowd, which was always jam packed. And they would just be screaming heckles at everybody. There was an Italian kid that uh, that kind of looked like you, Mike, you know, slick back hair. And he was like, <laughs> he used to be fat, but he was real buff. And like Whoa, one guy goes, yo, yo, 13, tuck your titties in. And it like shattered him <laughs> for a week. It, it was I mean, they called another kid Enrique Iglesias and he was like dark skin, didn't get it, but super upset. <laughs> it, was, it really bummed him out. And they called me Mike Bibby, which I actually appreciate. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I was like, yeah, Mike Bibby is fucking good. How, how many places that you would play at were, were terrifying to play at? Like that place just sounds like it's fun. That place was fun. The one place I was genuinely terrifying was Sullivan County in New York City or New York State. So this is this is true. I was I was one of two white kids on my team. And then my coach was white and everybody else was black. I had a crazy identity crisis. I was also trying to be black for a full year. Like, you know, the whole thing and the entire crowd, which was for, you know, there's nothing to do in Sullivan. So there was 500 fucking people at this game and the whole field house, everybody was black. Their whole other team was black. So every, I promise this as a point, I'm not just, <laughs> not just locating races in this, in this arena. Um, but every time I was a one white kid that would play every single time I touched the ball, the entire crowd would go, 
cracker, <laughs> cracker, cra literally every fucking time. Right. And this is like this is before comedy. So it's before, you know, I had my little heart broken. So I had a ton of confidence. And uh, I remember drilling my first three, like just top of the key, uh, catch and shoot, drilled it. And I kind of like looked up into the whole crowd, faced them and grabbed my nuts like at, right after they were called <laughs> saying cracker and right oh, after I drilled this three, it's dead quiet for what seemed like forever. And out of nowhere, some dude goes, probably the first shot you ever hit, faggot. And the <laughs> whole place erupted. It, like the it was the biggest kill I've ever witnessed in my life. And I was just like, I think those were like the only points I scored all game. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Did they, you should have. uh for going back there, you should have pushed out the narrative that you were one of those autistic kids that is the uh, <laughs> the, the, the the team ball boy yep. that he finally gets in just to try to make him feel bad about what they said. I was going to say, I, you should have dressed like a nerd, but then also danced good. They love that kind of shit. Oh, yeah. You would have been the coolest dude there. They would have like carried you around on their shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, te my team kind of did. I Because I, I used to like wear Pele Pele jeans with the patches. I had triple X long white tees with white on white Air Force Ones. Mm. I had a lineup. Girls literally thought I was Puerto Rican when I would wow. go out with my teammates because I could dance. And then, you know, as soon as they felt my pitiful hard dick bounce against their bucks and ass, <laughs> they were like, all right, this is a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you try to put the wrong batteries in something. You're like, I thought it was double A. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Push it aside. I don't need it anyway. Mike, at what point did you decide that like you weren't going to go any further with basketball? Um, well, it's funny that you said uh, that porn star ended her career to a meniscus tear because that's how I ended my <laughs> basketball uh, career. <laughs> same stage. Uh, yeah, same, yeah. <laughs> yeah, goldfish in my sneakers, too. Uh, guard Vanessa Del Rio. <laughs> but I, th I tore my meniscus my freshman year and then continued to play on it for 18 months because I didn't want to lose my starting position. Oh, and I was a captain. And I just was like, I did steroids. Like, I, I was just yes. a fucking idiot. Um, and you know, once I, I was going to play at Geneseo state university, which is up near Rochester, but that was like, it was D three. The coach was a dickhead. He like kind of disrespected me at our recruiting trip, which was weird since he invited me up there, but he was like, ah, oh, you know, uh, it's like, you guys haven't, you haven't really played against anybody, but once you get up here, you'll get acclimated. And I'm like, like, dude, I, I play against guys that go to like Gonzaga, St. John's and all these other schools. It's like you guys play in the fucking SUNY conference in Division three. Like, trust me, you guys, you stink. <laughs> would, but, you play, uh, <laughs> would you Mike, would you travel around New York to, to play in uh, street games? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I played in the cages a lot when I like West 4th Street when I was uh, when I was in high school. I played in Yonkers, which was uh, at this gym called School Street, which is like it's super famous because it's like right there in the middle of rough riders hood. Yeah. I actually played against Jada kiss, which was hysterical because he's like, at the time, I don't know what his body's like now, but he was a rotund short fella that <laughs> literally would like pass, then look away and literally and do his fucking <laughs> like his stupid, <laughs> his, his Jada kiss growl. And it was, just, it was so surreal, but I, I don't think I ever played at the Rucker, but I watched, I watched some games there, but I played at all the other, like, you know, Van Cortland Park in the Bronx and all over the place. Now, was that stuff, were those kind of games, like, formative for you, or is that just more of, like, I want to get this experience? 
Oh, that was formative. Like, it, I mean, the reason I do comedy is because of those games, because my oh, favorite, wow. I was a flashy asshole. If you, you know, it, I, I played like, you know, it, my favorite player is Jason Williams, right? White chocolate oh, point guard. So fucking good. Had a crazy yo-yo handle, was a great passer, could shoot all that stuff. I was a real, I had a really good handle. I could pass really well. And I was a fair shooter. I was okay. Mm-hmm. But, um, but all of my thing, like, my whole game was trying to embarrass people. So it wasn't the most efficient, but it looked fucking dope. (laughs) And so anytime, if you go to an all black park and you like, you bop the shit out of some, some dude and you hear the, Oh my God, dude. It's like, it's, it's almost better than comedy. Dude. I got chills just hearing you say that because I can instantly imagine what that is like. Yeah. And not to mention, you know what? At the time, I'm not anymore. I'm I'm a giant pussy that has a child now. But at the time, I was relatively tough. So people would constantly try to fight me also because I was the one white kid. And I would just, you know, I'd be all about that. And it it, uh, it would make for a lot of like really, you know, funny, crazy shit that the crowd would be like, oh, this kid's fucking ready to scrap. He doesn't give a shit. That was your encore. That was your second yeah. applause. <laughs> <laughs> just square up with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Would you go to these games by yourself, Mike, or would you go with friends who are familiar with the? Um, I think I think I I played at the cages once by myself, but that wasn't even in like you know they have those summer league things that I have also played in. But the one time that I went by myself, I just happened to be in the city and people were playing, and I was mm-hmm. in like sweats and you know maybe runners or something like that. Uh-huh. But um, mostly it was with uh, one of my teammates. <clears throat> who I grew up with next door. Uh, he was, he was an incredible basketball player. He ended up playing division two at Franklin Pierce, I believe. Um, but he, you know, he dropped a couple, he had a couple 40 point games in high school, like Damn. could shoot the fucking lights out. And him and I were really great together. Cause I was a point guard and he was my wing. Damn dude. I, I give you a lot of credit, man. There's a, um, um, fuck. What was it? I about to say, did you play? I did not. Well, I, pl- I played fifth grade. Um, I was the only kid on the team who did not score all year. <laughs> <laughs> to my credit, I had an alcoholic coach who probably didn't recognize what he had sitting on the bench, but that's the time. <laughs> sixth grade, I tried for like, I, I played for like a little bit. Then I was just like, I'm going to quit. And then I made my mom sign me up for the local um, rec league. Mm. And first game, four points, retired after that. Nice. Hell yeah. So, so that was that, but, but I, I, I loved basketball from an early age because my aunt loved the Sixers and she loved Dr. J and I got to go to a lot of games with her. And, you know, at that time period, you know, I didn't know that that's not typically like how great basketball was. It was just, it just happened to be the time period that yeah, yeah. I got introduced yeah. to it, but it was just mid eighties. The fucking Sixers were the shit. The Celtics were great. Uh, the Lakers were incredible. So it had all this great basketball. Um, I just love the culture. Philly is one of the best, I mean, is sports overall, but like basketball, especially from, you know, for my formative years probably were mostly when Iverson started playing and like even came through, like that was my peak yeah. basketball fandom. And I remember just watching the people show out for him and the support yeah. that he was getting. And like the fact that he was, you know, listed at six foot, but very clearly five ten tops yeah. and five, nine, probably, you know, yeah. and, and Philly like super embraced that. And they loved how he played every single game. Like it was his last, he'd break his nose on the floor, diving yeah. for it. Like, I, I mean, I, I love Allen Iverson. He's great. Dude. He was the best. I got to work at the gym where they practiced. And I went there just for that reason to try to get a job as a locker room guy because I just wanted to be around. I just wanted to be a, a fanboy. Yeah, yeah. And when I was interviewing, it just happened to be at a time when the Sixers were getting done practice. 
And the guy was showing me where all the towels were kept, you know, where, how many you're supposed to give out to each person. And Iverson had just walked past. And as he walked past, I said, good game, AI. And I put up my hand for the black handshake and he shook it. And I'll never forget um, how much he looked like he fucking hated me for no apparent reason. <laughs> like, okay, I guess this is how it yeah. is. And then the best part came when this was a gym where it, it was, a, and the general public could go there, but it was predominantly wealthy white people from the area. So mm-hmm. it was always fun to see them just have to sit there and take it when these mm, even even 10 times wealthier black men would just stand there naked, just fucking cursing as loud as they wanted to. <laughs> yeah. These old white dudes had to take it. Just banging their pendulum cocks between their <laughs> knees and these fucking old <laughs> impotent whites have to watch that bullshit. Also, I love that the 76ers are like the only team that could employ a point guard that literally couldn't hit an elbow jump shot, which is Eric Snow. He was one of the most frustrating point guards to watch because he was so good at every other aspect of the game. And then you give him like 15 feet wide open for a jumper and he's missing. He couldn't. And you know what, man, even worse, when the Sixers played in the finals in 2001, he played with a broken foot. Mm hmm. So I, you know, there was so much going against the Sixers at that time, and I think it was a, it was a small miracle that they won one game out of that oh, yeah. series against Kobe and Shaq. But, but yeah, you're 100 percent right on the money with Eric Snow because you know they could, everybody could just back off and just let him shoot. Yeah, I mean he was fine. good. I, I would have loved him on the Knicks, but you know it, it was it was just so funny that like now you don't see that you don't see guys that have just a complete lack of a basic skill. Who was who was somebody that you played with or were aware of at the time when you were playing? that ended up going to the highest level. I played against J.R. Smith um, oh, wow. in, in high school because I went to Eastern Invitational Basketball Camp and I was, you know, I was on the lowest rung of the invitees. There, were, Mike Nardi was there who played point guard for Villanova. Um, shit, I always forget this guy's fucking name, but he was number 44 and he was a point guard on Virginia and he was so, he was, he was so goddamn silky smooth. I've never seen a point guard like him even to this day. Like he literally would almost like without any hiccup or effort would just weave through people. And it looked, it almost looked like reptilian. It was insane. Uh, but J.R. Smith, I guarded him the first day of camp and he had just come off of ABCD, which is the biggest basketball camp in the country. He won MVP. It was very clear. He was either going to UNC or the pros. He was wearing his ABCD shorts down to his ankles. He had his like, you know, Adidas sneakers on. He didn't give a fuck. He was high. I'm assuming. And uh, when I was guarding him, he literally caught, the ball took one step inside half court pulled the three and then <laughs> subbed himself out <laughs> he oh, like dr- drilled it drilled a three from like 40 and then subbed himself out i was That's like a baller yeah, right. move man <laughs> yeah was the virginia guy ace custis no i, I fuck I, I forget what his name was. i i like i'm always looking this fucking guy up to hold on 44 but he uh it's like it's not shuttlesworth obviously but it's uh it's something like something similar to that and on a Mike Nardi note, a uh, close friend of ours actually got cucked by Mike Nardi. No kidding. And we had started to formulate a plan for our friend to fuck Mike Nardi's mom, assuming that she looked like a typical Italian woman. But it turns out <laughs> she's pretty hot. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I bet she is. Yeah, smoking hot. Probably getting all the uh, brajol she can handle. <laughs> Mike so. Nardi was nice. I forgot. Yeah, Villanova's in Philly, which I've been arrested at Villanova. But um, <laughs> uh, Sean Singletary, that's who the point oh, okay. was. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And he, I mean, that, watching that guy play was like, it was insane. But Mike Nardi was another one of those dudes who was incredible. Would a lot of the guys that you played with in junior college have delusions of grandeur or do most of them know that this was probably it for them? Um, I mean, a lot, a lot of them played at four year schools. And I think, I think 
I think they were mostly like they were mostly kind of they wanted to be there for academics because a lot of the kids were like I was the only in count or me and one other teammate from my high school. Actually, we were the two in county players like everybody else at our Rockland County Community College was from the Bronx, Yonkers, uh, you know, all over the city, Brooklyn, all over the city. So these guys were just like literally grateful to be out of the fucking hood to, you know, have a, have a safe place to be and all that. So, I mean, I had a lot of my teammates spend the night at my, at my house and like eat dinner with my family and stuff like that. And all of them were just like, that gave me a better perspective on what I had because I was like, Oh, everybody, like, I think this is bullshit. And everybody that's coming in is like, yo, you're living like this. Like this is fucking insane. Yeah. At at what point, like after basketball, did you realize you wanted to, to get into comedy? Pretty quickly. I mean, I, I, even when I was doing basketball, I wanted to do stand up because I, I was so, I was so bereft of a father figure that the head of the communications department told me I reminded him of Jon Stewart. And I was like, okay, daddy. <laughs> I just did that. <laughs> I just followed his advice for as a career for the rest of my life. But he gave me like daily show tapes. Like I did all these like characters on the TV production courses and, you know, all these tapes that thank God were not digitized because, you know, they're fucking long gone at this point. But, uh, I, I kind of had the idea that I wanted to do it. And then I did my first bit of stand up while I was at Geneseo in Rochester. So that, you know, it, it all kind of like slowly, slowly materialized. When did you guys start? Fuck, man. I, I got into it uh, winter of 2003. Um, we had just found out my wife was pregnant with our, with our first baby. Mm. And then it just, yeah, it was just a fucking, slow fucking decline from there because i never i never like it, for me it was about it was about going out and fucking getting hammered yeah and it was just wherever i could do that i was happy to do it and then it wasn't until um you know tim and i we were fortunate a friend a couple friends of ours they had got a um, a pilot through comedy central mm-hmm. and delco proper right yeah that was like yeah, the yeah. first time where where i felt like a legitimate person Right. <laughs> you know, where I felt like I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I might actually be funny, and I'm not just fucking deluding myself. Were you on? You were on the show, or wrote, yeah. wrote it? Yeah, nice. yeah. Well, Tim, Tim was there from the onset uh, when it was a web series, mm-hmm. and then, um, yeah, I came on at the at the second webisode, and then at that right. point, like you know, it was John McKeever and Tommy Pope, and they they involved us in like every step of the process, and you know, whatever we thought was funny, they were always open to ideas, so it was cool, and it was like just being in that kind of environment it legitimized a lot of fucking nights where you just feel like, what the fuck am I doing with myself? I'm going out to the middle of nowhere, not making any money, just fucking fighting for attention. And to just finally have it validated. You know, I I use the analogy all the time, but um, through field of dreams, like Archibald Moonlight Graham, like he finally gets that one at bat. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's the way I felt like being on that show. Hell yeah. Did you guys, have you, have either of you ever considered leaving Philly? Um, I don't know that I would now. I, I wouldn't, well, you don't have to now. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> now you're good. No, wow. Like, I, I don't think I would to pursue comedy, but like, I would definitely like to get out of here and move out to the West. You know, because yeah. I, I like the West Coast a lot better. I what never, you, I never Tim? considered moving, but uh, without moving out of Philadelphia, you almost never get that validation. You never get that feeling of validation where, like, I am doing comedy. Right, you right. Never, you never actually feel like you're doing comedy. You feel like you're uh at comedy lessons and then like yeah. <laughs> if you move to somewhere where you can do it for real you're like that's when i'll uh, that's when i'll be in com- i know i that's probably unique i don't know if anyone else feels that way and i'm not shitting on my friends in philadelphia who are comics 
I'm just saying that they're doing that in the absence of the feedback that tells you that you are for real a comedian. Yeah, right. we had a gift wrap for us. I mean, there, there's no way about. I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat that. I mean, Tim's the funniest. Tim's the fucking funniest guy on earth. But you know, you being being in, being in Philly, <laughs> it's like mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make his little cheeks red. But being in Philly, it's just like you know, how far can you really go with, with right. you know, just you know, you're doing the same fucking you know ten places over and over and over and over again, and you know who's seeing you, and you know what are you being subjected to? Are you growing? You're not growing. You're just you know, you're staying the same. Whereas people that have the audacity and the balls to actually move to a place like New York or Los Angeles, then you might see something actually start to materialize from it. Right. But I mean, now it's a little bit different. Like, if you want to be like in, I, I, this is a stupid way to put it, but like showbiz proper, you know what I mean? Like if you want to do auditions, if you want to try to get in TV, if you want to do movies, then I guess New York, mostly LA is probably, you know, you'd have to move there, but you guys are doing big things from Philly. Like the podcast is getting out there. People are hearing about you that has legitimized you as a stand-up. You're coming into New York, you're doing podcasts. So you're like intermixing the scenes quite a bit. So it, it does that, has that helped like feel like it's like, all right, yeah, I'm a, I'm a professional comedian and I live in Philadelphia. Like this is the, in the time that Tim and I have been doing this podcast and anything related to it. It's, it's the first, I shouldn't say first time, but like, this has been the most enjoyable time that I've had doing anything related to comedy mm. um, just because, you know, we're, we're doing what we want to do. And every week we, we have on people that we want to have on people that we find interesting, people that we find funny. Whereas before it was just like begging for somebody to put us on a show that there might be people there and we might make fucking 25 bucks at right Whereas now. It's just like, all right, we're, we're doing our own thing. And it's just, and you know, we, we've, we've gotten lucky in anything we've done. We feel like we've, I feel like we've had, people that we look up to helping us like mm -hmm. with Delco proper, we had John and Tommy, you know, with, with starting this podcast, we had Shane Gillis and Matt McCusker have us on their show to, you know, and encouraging us saying like telling people to check out our podcast. Nice. And it was really like the kind of like boost we needed to kind of hit the ground running. It's a, uh, it's, it's That's awesome. I, I, <sighs> I'm going to, I'm going to turn this. This is going to be about uh, your special again, Mike, in a minute, but uh, okay. I, <laughs> I, I honestly, I'm having fun talking about go, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Go, going. Uh, I, when we, when we were almost uh, on TV or like all uh, the, that whole saga and I'm, I'm tired of fucking even hearing myself talk about it, but like for a long time, it felt like I was on this crazy extended job interview for a dream job. Like well, mm -hmm. at the end of this, you get to be on TV and it pays your bills. And I just didn't want to worry about like, balancing like work and creating things and uh and then since then it's like i've had opportunities where it was like like mike said like please hire me please hire us please you know i i can make the thing and uh i had like a, a kind of like a mini breakdown last weekend not a mm. mini breakdown actually it was great i did mushrooms again on sunday night fuck it breakthrough yeah exactly this was a yeah. good thing i yeah. did mushrooms again sunday night and i watched uh midnight gospel have you guys watched Midnight Gospel yet? No, I heard it's amazing. D Duncan That's uh, Duncan's with yeah. uh, the guy from the guy that made Adventure Time. It's mm -hmm. it's pretty. I, I watched the second episode of it and uh, I loved it. I, I I watched this episode. I cried. I I felt incredible to watch. But then also like uh, I saw some reviews and interviews where people were like, "It's it's stoner weirdness," and it's like, "Ah oh, man, no," because. Even like I went back and watched it sober. Obviously, there's right. like uh, there's like a very there's a purpose to everything that it, it's such a clear representation of like the personalities of the people that made it. 
mm-hmm. that when people were like, "Get buckle in, stoners," I was like, "Oh no, dude! They they I feel these people like." had a genuine expression of themselves and people kind of mistook it. But that that's a reflection on those fucking sure. idiots. That's like a shallow, dismissive way because they don't want to look deep within themselves. Absolutely. <laughs> the, I, yeah. I came to the same exact realization. And it, thankfully, it was kind of quickly because I, I just I got right back to just thinking about how like those I, I you know, obviously Netflix uh, broadcasted. So it's like the biggest possible buyer found it. But totally. like. I it really really I've been stuck all week on just like how do I how do I make the things that I make more uh, expressions of myself and it's just been fun to think about and uh, I, and then when I you know remember that you were on the show this week I you self produced your special mm-hmm. yeah yeah you and it, I it, 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 did, it was it just a stupid of, idea I had in a fucking group chat yeah and uh well yeah when we met I I, I felt that felt really cool uh just talking to you about it and. I, I mean, it, it is unique and it is like specific to you. Right. One of the, one, that fucking rules. One oh, of the thanks, things man. that's so good about your special, Mike, and for listeners, it's Life Begins. You can check it out on YouTube now. It's so good. Like one of the things that's so good about it is it has a definitive feel. It's mm. not just like something you put on Netflix and it's just like somebody talking and telling jokes. It's 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 captivating from the start. Like the way it begins is so unique and it just it feels like you're in New York and with you not only being a part of the seller, but integrating all these people that are such prominent aspects of the seller and the footage of it. And it's just, it, it makes you feel like you're there. And, oh, yeah. and one of the, one of the things that's also like really refreshing about it is it you're, you're somebody who, who's just really fucking good at standup. And you're Thanks, not just man. somebody who's just trying to parlay, like being seen for an hour into something else. It's mm-hmm. it, you're somebody who is clearly really fucking good at this shit and is only going to get better. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, all I was trying to parlay it into is like somebody actually buying my next one. <laughs> you know, it's like if that's, people people that's do stand. Uh, yeah, no, people sorry. do stand up to try to like you know act or do whatever the fuck they're gonna do, and you know, I'm I'm doing stand up to do more stand up, yeah. and a lot of sta- you know a lot of comedy right now to me, or not a lot of it, but a lot of the popular mainstream comedy is very cool. It's I, I call it sneaker comedy. Like everybody's <laughs> dre- everybody's dressed awesome. It's, yeah. you know, it's kind of the same note. They're hitting the same, you know, woke points or whatever it's going to be. And, you know, or it's or it's, you know, ironic weirdness that they're talking about. And you're like, I, I truly can't identify with that at all. It just has no no bearing on my life. So I wanted to make sure that I made something that looked serious that was not serious for one second. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like it, it's so beautiful. The guy homeless pimp that that directed it, Mike Lavin, who's now on the road, well, was on the road with Nate Bargatze. And he's like, you know, doing all of his road blo- of vlogs. And he, he sh- he's unbelievable at his job. But as soon as I told him what I wanted to do with that, he was like, I know exactly what this looks Dude, like you guys fucking nailed it because just the intro alone like i get di- i get diarrhea watching the intro because it feels like you're going to a show right <laughs> yeah. you, know, you get that pre-show diarrhea just watching it. it's just like oh i know what's about to happen oh my god <laughs> well people are people are so fucking stupid they're like wow he totally ripped that uh subway thing from louie and it's like yeah that's the point <laughs> like yeah. that is that is Dude, literally the again, joke i'm making they they are not even to, they're not able to even look that deeply because it says it says more about them <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, they're, dude. They're not, yeah, they're not going to consider a, that. No, it did make me feel good though that Joe List uh, either 
I think he showed Louie that opening part where, you know, Brendan Zagalo, the, the the person who inexplicably wore a fucking cut off T-shirt to film the uh, intro to my special. Uh, he, he says he's like, I feel like this has been done before, which, again, is an acknowledgement of what I'm doing. I'm using the seller as a character. I'm using my story at the seller as the, you know, skeleton of what my special is going to be because it's weird. Colin Quinn had a heart attack. I got in at the cellar. It's a fucking weird original story. But Brendan, you know, we wanted to acknowledge the fact that this has been done. People have shot at the cellar. A lot of people have shot at the cellar. And he's like, Crashing did it. Louie did it. And it's just like, yeah, but this is different. And he's like, how? And I'm like, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. it's, it, it's not different. It's the same. But it's it's me. That's what it is. Fuck you know? Yeah. Oh, man. It's giving me chills. That it's me fart. Uh, because I, I got hung up on all that. You were talking about all that sameness and it, so, so much of like the stuff I consume, like I can't even watch most TV and mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of it. It's just like, I feel like people who are creating things are, they're just looking at, uh, I mean, and I sound like a fucking 16 year old girl, <laughs> it, it, like they're watching what's becoming successful and they're, they, they get enthusiastic about replicating like a formula that they see. Totally. Not, it's not that I'm saying like, dude, everyone's a sellout. It's like, no, people- no, that's also how it is throughout time. It just looks different now. Like now it's so fucking glossy and colorful. Like, people, people are getting excited about replicating formulas and people are showing like enthusiastic, like uh, appreciation for it. And it's just like, yeah. And it's like the people that should be cool. It should be the people that are like, this is, this is the, sh- this is shit. This is the, just like everything else. Everyone is like. I don't know. There's like a weird revolution, like a, a, a turn happening, and they're they're all uh, just so into the fucking sameness. I can't enjoy so much as being made, and uh, just yeah, d- just the actually. Do you do mushrooms? Yes, <laughs> you yes, I all do. That? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. Yeah, Whoa. so I totally understand what you're saying. Mushrooms yeah, are my favorite. They've changed my entire life, and I also think what you just said is true when it comes to like social media st- comedy, where it's like. A lot of the people that become super famous on like even a new thing like TikTok or like or, or even Instagram or YouTube, they're almost just regurgitating past tropes of comedy. But it's for a new audience that thinks they're geniuses that thinks. And and even if they didn't come up with it, they're like, who cares? They said it. I heard it. That's all I mm-hmm. give a fuck about. I mean, that one kid was literally parroting uh, Patrice like he was saying Patrice quotes on YouTube and he got like 500,000 subscribers or something like that to the point where, you know, I think Norton and a bunch of those guys kind of stepped in and and shined a light on it. And then he was like, Oh no, it was just an homage to the great Patrice O'Neill. And it's like, well, you never quoted him. You never said anything that you were doing it. You were just giving his theories as if they were your own, you know, but, but then you'd get people to fight back that are like, I don't care. I I heard it from him or even Mencia. They're like, it might be somebody else's joke, but he performed it better. And it's like, God, that's such a bummer that human beings like that exist where it's like all as as comics, all of us, you know, the three of us, especially it's like we're talking about it. You want to create something that is so uniquely you that is, you know, Duncan's show is could anybody else do that? You know, no, the way the way Duncan talks and, and and he's so he's so funny but introspective and he understands how to also like make hallucinations and psychedelics applicable. So he talks to people who aren't who haven't done mushrooms and they're like, oh, OK, like I I understand what yeah. you're saying. You're, you're bringing like you're bringing the psychedelic verbiage onto everybody's level where it's now like, all right, it's consumable by everybody. Like he's the only motherfucker that could do that. And that's why for this, you know, it, I, 
I grew up with Tough Crowd. I grew up with Opie and Anthony. I grew up reading Jim Norton's books, all that stuff. I was obsessed with the comedy seller. It's what got me into comedy. The fact that I got in in such a bizarre way was just like icing on the cake that I was like, if I can get these guys that I that are my heroes, literally my fucking heroes on my special, then I've accomplished something just for myself. If it does well, great. If it doesn't, like that sucks, but I still got them to be in my thing. Mm-hmm. Does, yeah. Do you ever get to the point? Do you ever? Does it ever creep into your mind to like feel corny for feeling that way and expressing? Yeah, it? yeah. Just saying that I wanted to take my own life. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I was just like, give me more. I love this, <laughs> dude. Being being sincere is like the, you know, the, it's the most vulnerable you could possibly be, and especially with the animals that listen to our podcast or listen to the podcast that we guest on. It's uh, we're basically providing them with fodder to destroy us. Yeah. The, the great thing is, though, I mean, in 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 sincerity and earnestness, you really, when, when you can, when you can put that out there and people can see through the bullshit that you're not ironically saying that shit, mm. you're going to attract people to you that are fucking like, like, yeah, I feel the same way too. Although they're going to probably preface it by saying uh, this is pretty gay, but, and the more that you fucking portray that. And it's like something that like, you know, Tim and I have been lucky to have with people reach out to us and say like, like, Hey, like, you know, I appreciate you saying this or, or this I'm going through this too. I think the more that's what's going to win out in the end because people can replicate all these little formulas that they find in all these other facets of social media or enter, any form of entertainment. But I think what's ultimately, I don't know if it'll win out, but I mean, it'll win out for, for individual people trying to create you. Yeah. Shit is that yeah. earnestness. Yeah. And you know, at, at this point, and I'm sure you guys are similar with kids. Like, now, you know, it means it means something to me to make money. That's what it means to fame doesn't really mean much to me. I would like affirmation and I would like people to think that I'm good. But yeah. fame means nothing. Taking care of my family means everything. And now the person that I want to impress the most is my kid. Like I want my kid when he grows up to watch my special and be like, fuck, man, my, yeah. my dad did this himself like that. That's pretty crazy. I, I feel like if I had something like that to look back on that my father made, I would be really impressed by it. Or at least like like, cool, he really fucking put it. He put himself out there. That's that's ballsy. Yeah, it is, man. Go ahead, Tim. No, I was going to say like most kids when when they look at their the, the, the work that their parents do or like the example that the parents set, a lot of best case scenarios are just like, look how nice my dad's retirement party was. It's like, right. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I, I, I've been struggling with that, not struggling with that lately. I've been very energized lately to tell my kids like, look, if like you work really hard and you get what you want, there's like more you can do to get more. Like you don't yeah. have to just set this idea of what success means. You can kind of, you're creative enough, you're smart enough. And I think this is a problem that I had. And I wonder if you guys had this, were you guys ever told as, as a kid that you were very smart or like you were very like gifted? Yeah. No, total retard. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no, I've been told I was slow. Since well, whether, whether or not you were told that as a kid and if, if you were told that, um, I feel like that's like half a message. I, feel, I, I was told that constantly as a kid, like, in middle school grade school elementary mm -hmm. school and it's it's ha it's an incomplete message and it fucks you up if you only get that half because the other half of it is that doesn't make that doesn't mean you're on easy mode that right. means that you have more potential or may, even if they're just juicing you up to think you have more potential but when you when you when you you know perceive that extra potential you have to fill that with effort 
or it's meaningless. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, almost yeah. worse off because you if you are actually, you know, highly intelligent, you're just constantly aware of how much of a fucking loser you feel like at all times and you don't have the instruction to like, yeah, dude, fucking blow up the balloon. Go see how wide you can expand it. And uh that that's what I'm like. They the kids hate hearing about it. They hate when I talk about it, but I'm not going to no. shut the fuck up. With it. No, that's a that's an important point to drive home because my parents I think almost you know told me i was talented to like you're saying to a to a fault because nobody you know the work ethic conversation was not there or it was shallow as shit where it's like still gotta work hard and i'm like yeah yeah i'm talented like who gives a shit the things will happen to me because i believe i deserve it (laughs) you know right and that's that's how a lot of that's how i was with basketball like i you know i worked hard but I don't think I learned hard work until comedy, mm. like until I was completely left to my own devices. And my career is 100 percent based on my efforts. Like you, you talking about that feeling that good things will happen to me just because I deserve it. Like I distinctly remember that being the basis of me coasting throughout mm-hmm. my late teens and early 20s, because I just assumed because, you know, I would hang out in these corner bars and every every guy that I admired that would come in to drink just ended up at some blue collar job where he made enough to just buy as much beer as he wanted to and would go home in a, in a nice truck. And I just assumed that naturally that would happen to me. And it wasn't until I guess like my late twenties where I realized like, Oh shit, like this probably isn't going to happen. And I'm, I might just be destined to be a fucking loser. Right. Because it never occurred like that, that, that work ethic talk that you said never came like that didn't come either. And, you know, I, I feel like the basis of, of, what of a lot of what I do now just comes in the form of, of originating from feeling like a loser for so long and just trying to do the exact opposite of what all that entailed. You're like in a long-term Costanza. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, all right, I know what that guy does. So I'm going to do the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. It's, and it's, you know, by and large, like now, now is the time where like, I don't feel comfortable, you know, with where I'm at, but I think that's a good thing. It's because, yeah. 10 years ago, it's like, all right, cool. Yeah, things will work out, I guess. Whereas like now it just feels like, okay, shit's not going to work out unless I fucking do something about it. Totally. And, you know, getting past that cruise control mentality is like the first step to realizing like, oh shit, like I can do what I want. Like yeah. Tim, when you when you were talking about how your kids like were probably getting like tired of that shit, like, like, I, you know, I, I could imagine, like I could imagine like eventually there's going to come a time in the next few years where like that message isn't going to be as eye rolling to them. You know, at some point it's going to occur to them like, fuck, like I'm doing something because my dad busted my balls about this shit. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Eventually it's just going to be like latent instruction in their brain. I'm just trying to embed yes. it. I don't care if they yeah. like it or not. I'm just going to yeah. get it stuck in their fucking brains. And they're just like, well, that's like, you know, the same lessons that we took from just hearing shit over and over again. If it's yeah. I don't know. It's all well, that. That's I think. that's the thing is because it's almost like grieving where you go through several steps to the process where initially you don't get it. Then you fight it. Then you start to try to understand it. You really get it. You can't do it. (laughs) So you're frustrated. You might quit. And then you realize what it actually means. And you fight through the hard and the shit. And you eventually, you know, hopefully make it to a place where you're at least self-satisfied. Or or not even sad. I think satisfied is is probably the wrong word. But self uh you feel good about yourself. You feel good and, and you know, fulfilled. Like what you're, you're fulfilled. You're exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm at that point where, you know, you probably caught me on a good motivational day because there are days where I feel like shit. I hate 
everything that I've done. I don't hate my special at all, but like I'm upset that it didn't get the numbers that I wanted or, you know, no company, you know, the head of Comedy Central who now got fired. Uh, but she, I saw her at a at a bar and she was like almost like, oh, that's cute. You're putting out a special, you know, and I've had a years long relationship with her and it almost felt like, um, sweet of you to do. And, you know, so that like all this stuff is constantly churning in my head. And I think the, you know, when the clouds part, I have my best moments and my most clarity where I'm like, all right, I'm still on the right track. I understand what I'm doing, but all of that interference still kind of cuts in. So that's why like the work ethic and all that stuff and focus it's it's everything when you reach like kind of a kind of the point where you're making a living and doing it as an actual job and not it's not just a fucking dream i've gotten so aware of those uh those dark moments like i'm at the point where now i can recognize when i'm like dude this is all bullshit all this interference is just this is other people's projections this isn't Mm -hmm. i don't think this i'm gonna be like even though i'm feeling depressed i know i'm gonna be okay and now i i've i've explored them so much and i've done so much mushrooms that i'm like amped up for the next one i'm like the next one i'm gonna just start swinging i'm gonna yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna be haymakers all over the fucking doubt uh, it's it's so funny that you're like i don't think this about myself i'm the exact opposite where i'm like oh those people don't think it that's me how i think about myself oh, and that I'm, actually I'm gives me myself. comfort yeah <laughs> no I'm, t- I'm talking myself into thinking that i'm yeah, like yeah, yeah. This is, none of this is yeah uh <laughs> it's a shame but it is you know it's it's fine it's i guess it's you know I've gotten a lot of feedback from people who feel the same way. I was talking yeah. to a fucking dog today who was, he was talking about having the same exact feelings and it was like, bro, as long as you remember, like number one, it's going to pass. And number two, like fill your useful moments with things to stop this kind of backslide and yeah. uh, do mushrooms all the, all the time. <laughs> yeah. Like, Unless like, you're bipolar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like what's something that you're doing now with your son that is a primer for, for what you want to make his life easier in the long run? Um, I mean, he's nine months old, so there's not, there's not many lessons I can, I can give him that are like, you know, tangible, but stuff where, if he falls, I'm not grabbing him. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like, all right, come on. Like, let's get up a lot of encouragement, a lot of positive reinforcement, because I know like I had coaches my entire life that I think just watched coaches on TV and they adopted their persona and were just like complete pieces of shit. They were not leaders of children. They were not motivators. They were not inspirers or anything like that. They were just adult pieces of shit that were pissed at their own lack of, you know, success in any given sport. And so I was like, even though I was one of the best athletes in the entire county, I was negatively reinforced my entire life by shit coaches and it never worked for me. So I'm, I've, I've since coached and I've worked with other kids and it's, it's, I've, I've seen the payoff with that kind of thing where, you know, building them up, but also being super direct when they're fucking up. And I'm, I'm trying even now with a nine month old to kind of like, you know, get that a little bit started where it's not easy street. It's more like encouragement and like, come on, man, get up, let's do it again. And uh, I'm already having him shoot on a little tykes hoop, which (laughs) basically makes me the white Denzel and he got game. When he fucks up, you have to (laughs) slam a clipboard on the ground. Yeah. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Snap it over my knee. Make him do crawling laps. (laughs) Dude, no, no one whips a folding chair across the room like an NBA coach. 
Just oh, walking dude. down the side, just whipping, like, angry as fuck, whipping uh, folding chairs. My college coach is uh, in basketball. He was from Westchester, Pennsylvania. He was also a Golden Gloves boxer. Oh, and he was, like, just a general psychopath. And he used to tear his hair out in game screaming tearing his hair punching himself in the face if one of a te- if one of our teammates didn't like dive for a ball during games it happened like two or three times where he's like you gotta fucking dive like this and he'd <laughs> dive himself into the last six chairs on the bench and like you know borderline knock himself unconscious <laughs> we were like jesus christ this is how this guy chose to motivate <laughs> That's that's one thing that people don't talk about is that Gigi Allen was also an excellent basketball coach. <laughs> in addition to being such a such a such a visionary <laughs> musically, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's incredible. Like how every every basketball coach seems like they're hiding a cocaine problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy was it. He was hiding a a severe mental illness problem that I think since he's made peace, you know, I'm friends with his wife on uh, on Facebook. So we're like, you know, I get a glimpse into how he's doing and all that stuff. And it seems like he's made peace. But like, yeah, all of my coaches growing up, like you talked about having an alcoholic coach. My I was a I was a college prospect for soccer in high school. I was a uh, third leading scorer on my varsity team behind two seniors. So my, you know, as a sophomore in my junior year, I was supposed to have this like, you know, big year. It was going to be my, the year colleges came out, check me out, all that shit. And my alcoholic math teacher of a coach who had no soccer background, besides the fact that the school stuck him coaching there 20 years ago, uh, just sat me. He just fucking sat me for a full year for no reason. And I got so pissed off that I played uh, football the next year. Damn, dude. As, as a senior, I was like, all right, if you just fucked up my college chances, I'm now 100% focused on basketball and I'm going to play football with my friends because fuck you. God damn, dude. I think uh, <laughs> my parents trying to get me to play soccer in kindergarten was what put me off to mainstream sports for my entire life. Really? Yeah, I don't remember ever learning how to play soccer. Maybe <laughs> a quick explanation. But I just remember, uh, you know, it's kindergarten, all the kids running in a pack, chasing the ball. <laughs> and I, I have a very clear memory of someone telling me when I was I wasn't allowed to use my hands. I was like, this is the dumbest fucking game ever made. Why would you? <laughs> what kind of rule is that? I was uh, too young. I was too young for the finesse of soccer. I was I started school early because my birthday was late mm-hmm. and I just was not ready to hear about a rule where I could not touch a ball. But see, see you say that you're too you were too young, but that just sounds like you were advanced intellectually <laughs> where you're just like listen i have hands <laughs> i've learned how to use them i'm not you, you can't just give me hands and then tell me i'm i'm no longer allowed to use them to my advantage i was the first Fuck of you. the next evolution of humans like, <laughs> yeah, no, dude, i'm yeah. never gonna not use these guys <laughs> it's insane looking back how much of what forms you just comes from absolute fucking retards <laughs> yeah like as you're talking about it mike and as you're talking about it too tim it's just like i'm thinking back at like all the coaches i had and i had very few good people that i would consider good coaches and it's just like god damn it he was just a pants pissing alcoholic retard yeah yeah uh, almost so many through. of those growing up one of my eighth grade baseball coach uh he was like he was a cop in New York City. Right. And he uh, but he took baseball so fucking seriously. That was my best sport growing up, actually. And then I had a really great swing. And of course, in fifth grade, he decided to fix the mechanics of my swing. Uh-huh. I was literally never able to touch a baseball again. Like couldn't for the life of me make contact with a ball. It was so frustrating. So then I kind of turned into a pitcher. I was pretty good at it as a pitcher in eighth grade. 
I was on the modified middle school team and we were there for our first game. And I was like kind of already half in half out with interest in terms of baseball. And I had a spring league basketball game later that night in spring Valley, which is like the hood. I was in eighth grade and I was playing against all 17 year old kids. So I was like more interested in like stepping up that way and like playing in really tough competitive leagues. So we were up like six, nothing in the fifth inning. And I was like, you know, out of six, I think at the time. And I was like, I think I'm just going to go like I haven't played yet. So I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to go and and just not because he's like, oh, I'll put you in at right field. And I'm like, I'm not a right fielder. No, thanks. And he's like, whatever. And so I left and I played my game and then they ended up my team ended up losing. Good. And so, of course, I got every bit of blame from like, you know, from all my teammates, from all oh, the other parents. That, and so I told I, I told the coach in in eighth grade, I actually feel good about this, where I was like, I quit. Fuck you. And I said, fuck you. And then he uh, sent an anonymous letter home <laughs> to my parent, <laughs> to my dad, and uh, threatening both of us. Did he make you turn in your gun and badge? <laughs> yeah, dude, he, he was the only parent that worked in New York City, and it came from New York City. <laughs> the, oh, the, the envelope and the whole thing. It, it, like, I literally, it said, you are such a pussy. It, it was to was my it dad. Cut out of, like, letters cut out of news uh, magazines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, magazine. It was like a ransom note. <laughs> it was so stupid. And it was, it said, you are such a pussy, you fat, arrogant fool. Uh, <laughs> uh, it says something about, uh, something about your failed acting career to my dad uh and then your son is like also a fag or something like that and then it was like you know signed a secret admirer or whatever but we very quickly figured out who it was and it was my coach did that that insult so good we had a recently our uh, a kid was arguing with one of our kids and uh this the aggressor was probably five or six years old and he said something yelling at our kids that was very clearly from his parents troubled relationship Oh, and it was like, it, 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 my kids are fucking goofballs. They never do the it dishes, off. bitch. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> he's like, he's he said like something six. like, "You are you're a disgrace, and you have no dignity." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, was this kid English? <laughs> if he was English, I would have been like, "Wow, that makes sense coming from this guy." But, Good day, sir. No, man, this is uh this is just wealthy parents, man. That oh. is classic fun. He probably dude. Yeah, it, he was looking for a wine glass to throw at her. Just <laughs> <laughs> be Brit, Brit, little British kids are kind of creepy. I used to coach soccer, and uh, you know, five and six year olds, it's like they just found their penis, so they're like, you know, they're humping couches, they're touching it, they're pulling on themselves, the whole thing. So this one British kid used to like just, I'd be like on my knee, like you know, making eye contact with one of the kids, giving a lesson, and this kid would just lean his dick against my elbow. And would just like press it and like, you know, you're not trying to fuck the kid up sexually. So I'm just kind of like gingerly moving it away. And he kept like, yeah, kept trying (laughs) to do it. And I'm like, I finally I was like, dude, you got to get your you got to get your dick off my arm. (laughs) And the kid looked at me and he goes, but I love you. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. Pop it in here like a crumpet, you little fuck. (laughs) Oh my god! All right, we're at like uh, an hour twelve. We gotta fl- we gotta flip over to the Patreon. All right, but I gotta read the uh, the uh, sponsors real quick, Tim. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry, oh, dude. I'm sorry. Dude, we, okay, I'm sorry. We, we have time business for a quick word money. from the, our fucking benevolent sponsors. So this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. 
Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. Mike, have you ever taken Blue Chew? Uh, no, but I'm excited. They sponsored my pod, too. And yes. Uh, Dude, it's incredible. Dude, treat yourself. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, welcome like, to the I'm, Blue I'm, Chew family. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to, like, notice the inconsistencies in my erection, so I want to, like, I want to get back the power. You're you're gonna love it, and for those of you listening, go to bluechew.com, type in promo code FATBIRD, you get free samples. All you gotta do is pay the five dollars shipping. It's incredible. It's like having fucking Wolverine bird. I promise you. <laughs> Adamantium dick. I, dude, you, I would say you, a real description like- is a hundred and five percent boner. <laughs> oh my god, that's awesome. And and just, uh, I'm not saying one hundred and five percent like that's an impressive number. Just. Be honest with yourself. Think back. When was the last time you were at 100%? When was the last time you hit 99? Come on. Yeah. Be honest. Early 20s. Now I'm talking about that, but 105%. That's what I'm saying. Tim, I would even go so far as to encourage people to go to bluechew.com, type in promo code FATBIRD, and then when it comes, put a little outfit on there consisting of a flannel shirt and denim jeans and watch yourself werewolf through that fucking thing. <laughs> your, your dick is going to be fighting cops by the end of that night. Look, put a yellow fa- tank top. It's like Hulk Hogan. <laughs> your dick's just shaking. His whole is running wild. Its arm is just like, ah. <laughs> if, you, that, if you don't hit 105%, you fucking hit me up. You DM me let me know and i'll come show you what you're doing wrong yeah it's a it's a <laughs> suck off guarantee if, hell yeah if i'll double down work. on that i'll suck you off after <laughs> oh come on what are you going what come on <laughs> <laughs> see what did i say 105 <laughs> and i also want to mention Sorry. that um our second sponsor is audible and if you go to audibletrial.com slash fat bird you get a free 30-day trial of Audible, which fucking rules. You can cancel at any time. Um, I use Audible for the last few years. I love it. I fall asleep to it every night. Um, I'm listening to something right now that's uh, about behind-the-scenes stories of The Office, which is probably my second favorite show behind Deadwood. Nice. Um, yeah, there's just tons of cool shit you can listen to. If you go to audibletrial.com slash fatbird, you get a 30-day free trial. Um, it fucking rules. I think you'll love it. And it all supports the show. No cost to you. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's our dude. That's the third sponsor. The fucking listeners like you. Benevolence. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. Thanks for uh, being on the show. Do you? Have, I don't know. Are, are you busy? Do you want to keep going with us on the Patreon? No, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. Fuck oh, yes. Oh yes. my yeah. god, Mike Hannon is going to be on the Patreon. Hell we'll yeah. put that on YouTube Let's as well it. to stream along. Uh, give us like two minutes, and we're all going to piss our pants and show each other on on our uh, Zoom. Sweet. And then, and then we'll start the Patreon. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Go Mike. to Patreon, patreon.com slash dadmeatpodcast. Yeah, that's it. right is. to it if you're not a patron already. It's a million dollar. It rules. All right. I'll see you guys over there.